our great hope. And as we talk about it today, the hope of heaven. As we think about our great hope, there are a lot of things going on in our world today that are maybe troubling, somewhat troubling as you think about them. You think about what's happening in Peru and what's happening in Colombia as hundreds have lost their lives, as floods and mudslides occur. As you think about what's happening in the Middle East and what's occurring uh, in the bordering European countries. As we consider even what's happening right here locally uh, from the storms and as we think about uh, the 13 seniors, senior adults that were killed uh, in South Texas this week in a traffic accident. A lot of things going on, and not to mention uh, slavery. You know that uh, in the time in the United States when slavery was legalized, uh, there were approximately, they guess, 15 million slaves that were brought from Africa, not just to the United States, but to North America and even some in South America. There were about 15 million. It was a sad and uh, atrocious time in our history. Today, there are close to 25 million estimated slaves, most of them being women and children around the world, most of them being trafficked and forced to do hard labor or worse. You hear all those things, and then there's a there's a word that Jesus gave his followers, a command if you want to call it that, a word that he said that I would say is one of the most difficult words for me personally to ascertain and to exercise. And I bet if you're honest, it's the same for you. If you hear this command, you would admit that's, that's hard, that's difficult, if not impossible. And in John chapter 14, verse 1, this is what he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Well, that's a hard one. I mean, aren't there things that you're troubled about? If not, you have been in the past. If not, you will be in the future. Aren't there things that disturb you and bother you? And then you hear this word, let not your hearts be troubled. And how does that work for you when somebody says, well, I'm really discouraged and something's happened really heavy in my family? Well, don't be troubled. You go, well, thanks a lot. What do I do? Just put a smile on and do my Tony Robbins impersonation? What am I doing here? How does this all work? Let not your heart be troubled. What was Jesus talking about when he said, let not your heart be troubled? How do I do that, for goodness sake? Do I just will myself into it? Do I pretend like there's nothing going on? How does that occur? How does that happen? If you want to make, and, and to make it even more interesting... If you go back to chapter 11, Jesus is troubled over Lazarus' death and all the weeping, and he sees what's going on with his friends. His heart's troubled. His spirit's troubled. You go to chapter 12, and Jesus is certainly troubled. Jesus saying, "Let let this cup, Lord, pass from me. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knows he's about to be crucified. He knows he's about to die, and he's saying, God, is there another way? Because why? Because he's troubled. Chapter 13, he's certainly troubled when Judas betrays him. And now he's saying this to his followers, to his disciples. He's saying, let not your heart be troubled. What is he doing? What is he saying? We know this. We know this is his farewell discourse. He's preparing them. He's laying, no, look, I'm about to leave. 
they're thinking maybe he's probably going to die or he's done with the cause. He's throwing in the white flag. But he's preparing them that I'm not going to be here. And so they're discouraged. They're thinking, hey, wasn't it just a few days ago we came in here and everybody was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, we've been expecting a Messiah and you're going to be it. Now you're telling us you're leaving? And they don't quite grasp everything, but they know that it's not happening like they thought. And he's preparing them that he's going to leave. And then what happens? What happens when I'm gone? And now Jesus is saying, I'm preparing you and I'm telling you, let not your heart be troubled. Let's look and see what he says right after that, beginning in John chapter 14, beginning with the first verse. Let's look at this passage. Let not your heart be troubled. What does that mean? What do you think he's actually saying? Well, let me put it into today's vernacular. You know what he's saying? He's going, don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. Don't go into that spot where you think it can never get any better. This is the way it's going to be, and it's only going to get worse from here, and there is no hope. There is nothing to be redeemed. There is no way out. That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't go there. Yes, you're going to be hurt. Yes, you're going to, when you lose someone, it's going to hurt. You're going to be troubled. There's going to be all a mountain of emotions and feelings, and that's okay. Jesus himself was troubled. But don't get stuck. Don't give up your great hope is what Jesus is communicating right here. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You believe that God is real? You believe that he is true? You believe that Yahweh is the God of the universe? Is that what you believe? Believe also in me. He said, then you believe in me because I am God. When we say God, what do we mean? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. You believe in God, you believe in me. Because I am God in the flesh. So let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. You believe in me. I'm here with you. In my Father's house are many rooms, many abodes, many places that you can reside. There, there is a place for you. You know, I grew up, I told you, in a little small town in in Louisiana, a little place called Slagle. There were only two churches there. They both ran about 50 people, and they were both Baptists. And so those were the two churches in our community if you wanted to go to church. And I remember a little old lady one time, my pastor was doing a Wednesday night through this, and she goes, Pastor, my translation says mansions, and I want a mansion. I've been living a shack all my life. I want a mansion. (laughs) You too, huh? (laughs) But actually, that's not what it's communicating. The Father's house is expansive. It's talking about God, the abode of God. And there is a place specifically for you, for those who've trusted Christ Jesus. And he's preparing it. Jesus is saying, in my Father's house, you get to go there and be a part. You're not out there on your own on a piece of property in a big house by yourself with a big lawn mowing headache. That's not where you are. He said, you're with me. In my Father's house are many rooms, many places to abide, that that word abide that we see throughout John. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I'm going there for you. So when you're thinking about the troubles and you you see in the disciples, you, you know I'm leaving, but I want you to know I'm preparing a place for you. This isn't over. 
There's a great hope. There's a great hope we can have as believers, and there's a great hope for the disciples, and they can't see it. But he said, don't get stuck. You believe in God, you're believing in me. We're one in this, and we're working together on your behalf for followers of Christ. And in my house, there's going to be plenty of space. There's going to be a place for you, a place that fits, a place that's perfect in our, all our hearts. We have this longing for a place that we can go that all the pain goes away and that everything is right. And he's saying, I'm preparing that for you. You weren't created for this world for eternity. This is where you're created for eternity. So there's always going to be a part that's longing and yearning for that. So interesting. I was reading an article this week about a dog who uh, this guy was 26, 27 years old and he was buying his first house. I believe it was, in, it was either North or South Carolina. I forget which one it was. I think it was North Carolina. And he was buying a house... But in that neighborhood he bought a house, he found out that they didn't allow, I don't know how you'd legally do this, but they didn't allow any dogs in that neighborhood. So you couldn't have a dog and live there. So he decided to give his dog to his father who lived in Virginia over 500 miles away. So he took his dog up there, gave it to him, and in a couple of days the dog was gone. His dad told him, he said, look, we can't find it anywhere. It's gone. The guy was really sad. A few weeks later, the dog shows up back in North Carolina over 500 miles Never made that trip before. He drew, I guess he drove in the back. I guess he was paying attention. I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> but he has this honing device. And there's story after story, these, these animals that have kind of a honing device, like to go back to home. Like, I wasn't meant for this place. I'm going back to where I was meant to be. And so do you have that same longing. And Jesus says, in my Father's house is the place that is designed for you. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again, and I'm going to take you to myself, that where I am, you can be also. So you're not going to be alone. I, I want you to know I'm, you've got a temporary time. I don't want you to be troubled during this temporary experience because I'm going to go prepare something that fits you, that's right And I'm going to redeem all this pain, all this junk that you're going through. I'm going to redeem it. And I'm going to have a place for you that fits, that's right. It's the new heaven. It's the new earth. And I'm preparing it right now. So maybe you're troubled this morning. Maybe you're struggling this morning. But I want you to know there's a great hope. And I want you to see a visual of that this morning through our students. If you would, turn your attention to the screen. Our great hope. Our great hope. Can I tell you that there are three reasons that I believe in heaven? The first one is this, is that Jesus taught it. And if I believe that Jesus is a Savior, then I will take his word literally. And Jesus teaches it very specifically right here. The second reason is this, is that we all have that yearning and that longing. Everybody has a yearning for something more. We all innately know we were not created for this world, for this to be all that there is. And thirdly, because of the resurrection. It's not just that Jesus died. It's that he rose again, that he conquered sin and death, 
that he came to life and that he made the promise. And that takes us to John 14, 6, the conclusion of this sermon's passage. And Jesus said to them, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. If you've been here the last several weeks, we've been walking through the Torah. And the way that people knew God, the way that they experienced God, the way that they could be granted forgiveness of their sin, there was a way. And that way was they had to come with an offering. And it was a sacrificial offering. And blood was spilled and blood was applied on their account to cover their sins. It was the way. It was the only way. And Jesus said, I'm the way now. No longer is it required the animal sacrifices the blood of others. For my blood has paid once and for all. It will. I will be the way. And I'm the truth. There was one who stood as the authority in the world of Judaism. It was the high priest. And he's the one that would ultimately apply the atonement upon the altar. He was the one and only who would go before the Holy of Holies and apply the sacrifice on behalf of the nation. He had the authority. And Jesus says, I'm the truth. I am the final authority now. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Not just life as you know it, but eternal life. The life that you were created to live for eternity. So I'm the way, I'm the truth, I have the authority, and I am the eternal life for which your spirit ultimately longs for. Have you come to the place where you've accepted that, that you realize there is a God, he exists. I can deny it, I try to ignore him, but it doesn't change the fact that he is real, that he exists. And also, the problem is, is I'm a sinner. I have sin in my life where I do what I want to do. I make myself the Lord of my life, and I'm all about me. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it creates a huge barrier between us and God Almighty. But the good news is there's Jesus who came and lived the life that you and I should have lived and died the death that we should have died and said, I will take their place. Let me apply the blood of myself to their account. Let me cover them so that they're atoned and they're covered. And then we receive the grace by faith in him, what he did alone. We commit our lives to Christ. That's how we become a follower of Christ today. So when Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled, there's a reason for that. Don't get stuck. I know it hurts. I know it's difficult. I know it doesn't make sense. But let me tell you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if you've received me and if you put your hope in me as the truth and as the way and as the life, I'm creating the life that you always dreamed of, that your heart yearns for. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Are you ready to receive? Are you ready to commit? Reminds me of the story of a little boy who's playing baseball. He's playing third base, and he was right next to the fence. And one of his uh, relatives came up, got there late, and said, Hey, son, what's the score of the game right now? And he looked up, and he saw his first inning, and he said, uh, 18 to nothing. He goes, wow. Kind of discouraged, huh? He goes, are you kidding me? We hadn't even got up to bat yet. Why would I be discouraged? Maybe you're in the field right now. 
and we all are, and balls are flying over your head, they're going left and right, and it seems like you're not getting anybody out. And it seems like the enemy just keeps scoring run after run after run. But can I tell you this? One day, God is coming up to home plate. And at that point, it doesn't matter how many runs have been scored for the enemy. It doesn't how many runs have scored against you. He wins. Do you know him? Are you ready to be a part of his team by making him your Lord and Savior? I want to welcome you to do so this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much in your infinite mercy and grace that you died for us while we were still sinners. We thank you for that great gift and thank you for the beautiful portrayal of of heaven, God, and what waits for us. But until that time, we are asked to live here, to start our life of salvation, eternal life. Lord, to start our life of preparing for that place by giving accounts of the hope that is within us, by living a life that glorifies you and by being your follower. And so, Lord, I pray for anybody that needs to come to you as Lord and Savior today, that you would draw them by the power of your spirit. Thank you for this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.